I'm uh, Pastor JP. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor at Crossline. Uh, thanks for being here this morning, all of you who are part of our church. And if you're here for the first time or if you're a guest, thank you so much for, for joining us. One of the things that we talk about here and we really believe is that everybody is on a spiritual journey. And whether you have been a follower of Jesus Christ for some time or you're even considering and checking it out and you're curious to find out whether there's any validity or truth to the the person and message of Jesus, uh, you're on a spiritual journey. And uh, the issue for each one of us is what is our next step going to be? We're in a series right now. We're talking about transformation, uh, being transformed, experiencing the supernatural life in Christ that God has provided for us. And that, that term supernatural is, is chosen very uh, deliberately because when you look at the Bible and you consider what God calls us to, what God provides for us, what resources God has, what promises are made available, to, to actually experience all that is nothing less than supernatural. And, and in reality, there's only been one person who has perfectly lived the supernatural life, and that's Jesus Christ. What the Bible says is that when we put our faith in Jesus, he actually comes into us. We, we call that crossing the line. When we cross the line and, and trust Jesus Christ for our salvation, uh, he comes into our lives. So every believer in Jesus Christ has within them the supernatural life of Christ. And what we're trying to discover in this series is how do we access that, experience that, so that on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, Jesus actually lives his life in us and through us. Now, if you're here and you're, you're kind of looking at that with uh, some skepticism or even curiosity, your first step is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to invite him to be your Savior and Lord. If you're here and you know Jesus, it's learning how to allow Jesus to live his life in you and through you. And that's what we're talking about. And today we're talking about the fact that it isn't easy because there's opposition. We're not in a garden anymore. We don't live in this perfect environment where we just fellowship with one another and with God and everything is easy and there's no struggle and there's no opposition and there's no toil. No, we are post-garden people. And the Bible says something happened. Sin came into the world and sin has affected our very nature and sin has affected our world. And the reason that that is the case is there is a cosmic adversary, an enemy, And the Bible says that we now live in a world filled with emotional, relational, and spiritual conflict. There's a spiritual battle that we're all fighting. And the symptoms of the battle are all around us. You just have to open your eyes. You you just have to watch the news or look at the paper. You just have to kind of look into your own soul. And, And sadly, not throwing anybody under the bus, but just look around here. Because just because we moved an hour on the clock, half of our congregation isn't here. That's how easy it is for someone to deprioritize their relationship with God. There's a spiritual battle, gang. There's a spiritual battle. And, and it, it's waged on the front of materialism, skepticism, atheism, it's, it's, it's seen in the divorce rate. It's seen in the drug addiction. It's seen in the vitriol of the political world. There's all kinds of symptoms of spiritual warfare all over the place. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 10. 
The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, some of us, we've heard that last part. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But Jesus said it in the context of a battle. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Anything that is killing, stealing, or destroying your faith, your joy, your purpose, your connection with God is from the thief. Anything that is stopping the mission of this church in its blessing the poor and sharing the good news of salvation and growing and reflecting Jesus is from the thief. Anything in the world that is causing destruction and devastation and a breakdown of the family and the destroying of the human spirit is from the thief because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. To not understand that or to not recognize that is to already be a casualty. It's already to be a casualty. See, something I've discovered in, in living the Christian life for some time and studying God's word is that the devil is waiting to hold the ladder for anybody who wants to climb on the shelf for God. So the biggest threat to your spiritual life is not being demon-possessed. It's just being mediocre. It's just being affiliated. It's just going through the motions. But it's a symptom of spiritual warfare. So if we're going to be transformed and experience spiritual life in Christ, we have to know what the Bible actually teaches about the battle culture that we're in. And the Bible says a lot about that. If you have your if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. The, the verses will be on the screen, but we're going to see straight from God's word what God says about this reality, and not just the reality of battle, but how to fight it and how to win it, because we're on the winning side. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is a, a, a passage that unpacks for us the biblical theology of the spiritual battle, how to fight it, and how to win. How to win. So uh, I have a couple of observations. Here's the first one. It's our spiritual call to action. It's our spiritual call to action. If you step away and just take the big picture and you look at this passage and you look at the commands, the exhortations, the action words, we're told to be strong, to put on, to take our stand, to take up, to take up, to pray, to declare, to speak. That's a call to action. That's a call to action. 
We are not to be passive in the spiritual battle. We're not to be victims. We're not to be fearful. We're not to be uh, observers, spectators. We're to be in the fight. We're to be fighting the fight. And we're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to go like David when he saw Goliath in the Valley of Elah. We're to run to battle. Because because we're on the winning side and we've got all the resources for victory and, and we know who our enemy is and, and we're, we're not paralyzed, we're empowered. You see, it is a call to action and, and we, need to, we need to break this down in terms of where we really live. See, the, the, the reality of spiritual warfare is not in what Hollywood you know, pictures like The Exorcist. There are things like that that do happen, but not with most of us. Most of us, it's just a, a struggle. Are we going to trust God today or not trust God today? Are we going to surrender our finances to the Lord or are we going to become materialistic? Are, are we going to love our spouse or are we going to be embittered against them? Are we going to say no to sin or are we just going to give in to our desires? Are we going to let the culture kind of shape us or are we going to influence the culture? See, that's where the real spiritual struggle is on a day-to-day basis, and, and this passage is telling us to, to have an action-oriented mentality. It, it, it's like I used to say to my kids when they were little, are you a whiner or winner? Oh, Dan, are you a whiner or a winner? A whiner or a winner? So you get a lot of Christian whiners. We're whining about, you know, the election. We're whining about our finances. We're whining about our marriage. We're whining about our neighbors. We're whining about our boss. We're whining about our pastor. Quit whining. Quit whining. Because Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's charged us, you see. This passage is a charge to action. You can... can, Sit back and, and take yourself out. And like I said, the devil is waiting for any time to hold the ladder for anybody who wants to climb on the shelf for God. Or you can engage and, and experience spiritual transformation and the supernatural life in Christ. Um, this passage, first of all, says be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, it's, it's the Greek verb endunamai. Strengthen yourself. It's a particular construction. It means you participate in the action. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's, it's like you know, going to the gym and working out. If you will be on a, on a, on a healthy diet and you will engage in a, in a good exercise pro- program, barring some particular you know, an anomaly in your body, you're going to get in shape. And you know what? It's the same way spiritually. So be strong in the Lord. Avail yourself to all the strength that God provides. That's what, that's what we're commanded here. Uh, it, we're, we're told to take our stand four times. I mean, you, you think Paul, you know, was a broken record. Having done everything to stand and take your stand so you can stand and now that you've done that, stand. In other words, in other words, the enemy's coming at us. The world, the flesh, and the devil is firing its assaults all the time. You know, the, uh, the, the old saying, you, you know, we say sometimes, boy, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I've discovered the devil's on both sides of the bed, no matter which side you get up on. 
there's a there's a there's a reality of of temptation and struggle and opposition and it just is going to happen. So that's that's resign yourself to that fact. Between now and heaven, it's a spiritual battle. So take your stand. And and stand means to stand. I, in my mind, you know, because I just I'm an old jock and I'm a guy, so I think of that. I think of that 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 scene in the movie 300, where where they the 300 soldiers of Sparta go take on all these armies of Persia, and they come. If you saw the movie, they're coming ah, just screaming at them, and these 300 guys stand there with their shields, and then all of a sudden they just hmm, and they get down, and all their shields come around them, and the whole army of Persia comes and hits them, and they don't move at all because they're taking their stand. See. Stand. Don't let the devil take you out. Don't let temptation take you out. Don't let difficulty take you out. Don't let a bad attitude take you out. Don't let a harsh word from your spouse take you out. Don't let a crazy driver who cuts you off take you out. Don't let your own failure take you out. Get back up again. See, stand. Be strong. Take your stand. Then it says, put on and take up four times. It's describing the spiritual armor, the resources that we got. It's put on, take up, put on, take up, put on, take up. This is the exhortation to equip ourselves with all that God provides. His his resources for victory are always available whenever we need them. So put them on and take them up. Put them on and take them up. Put them on and take them up. And then he says, pray at all times, in all kinds of ways, in every situation. And lastly, He says, pray for me that I can speak and declare the gospel. We need to be praying for ourselves and praying for one another that we fulfill the mission that Christ has called us to, that we're contagious witnesses for Christ, that we live it out and we speak it out. See, everything kind of comes down to that. It's like uh, we lose sight of this very easily because we lose sight of our mission. But it's like in football. We just kind of finished football season. Whether you know a lot about football or a little, you, you, you kind of understand there's certain dynamics. There's blocking, and there's tackling, and there's running, and there's passing, and there's timeouts, and there's a halftime. But all of that is not the mission. The mission of a football team, you know what it is? Score touchdowns. All that other stuff is the stuff that helps you do what you're trying to do. Score touchdowns. We do all kinds of things in the church. We worship. We have Bible studies. We have small group. We have retreats. We, 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 we teach God's word. We counsel people. We have a food pantry. We, 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 we do all kinds of things to help people grow in their faith or to be resourced in their faith or to have fellowship with other believers. But the mission? Declare the gospel of Jesus Christ here and around the world. That's what Jesus has called us to. See? And, and that's when we take the battle to the enemy. See, because it's ultimately a battle for people's souls, whether they're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. So Paul speaks out this statement to every believer about spiritual warfare, and just when you look at it, kind of the big picture overview, it's a call to action. Now, here's a second observation. Once Now we kind of start going deeper into it. Paul talks about our spiritual enemy. He 
He says, uh, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, unapologetically, without kind of creative language, there is a real personal spiritual enemy, the devil, and he has a host of of demons who he describes as rulers, authorities, principalities, spiritual forces. There's an adversary. And and the totality of Scripture teaches that um, the devil is a fallen angel, Lucifer, one of the highest archangels who rebelled against God, and a whole other group of angels rebelled rebelled with him. And so now we live in a world, in the unseen world, the spiritual world where there is Satan and his demons who are seeking to destroy the work of God, the salvation of people, and to stop believers from experiencing all that Jesus wants. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Jesus said when he told the parable of the four soils, the farmer sows the seed, lands on hard soil, birds come and take it away, some land on rocky soil, some land on soil with weeds, some land on good soil and bears fruit. Then he gave the interpretation. He says, when the word of God is given and someone's heart is hard, the devil comes and snatches the word. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 8, as he was speaking to a group of people who were opposing his teaching, he said, you're of your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus giving a revelation of the future to the apostle John in Revelation chapter 12, it says, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who's called the devil, Satan. He deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The Bible is unequivocal. This is not a metaphor. This is not science fiction. It's the truth. Quoting Michael Jackson, talking to Oprah Winfrey, it's a truth, Oprah. It's a truth. A little cultural reference there for you. Paul's real specific in Ephesians 6 because he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood because that's who we think it is. See, we, we, we're, we are always tempted to think that our, our, our battle is on a human level. Paul says, no, it's not flesh and blood. It's not our spouse, not our kids, not our mother-in-law, not our neighbors, not our coworkers, not our boss, not our employees, not the government, not President Trump, not former President Obama. It's not the Democrats, not the Republicans. It's not the IRS, it's not the refugees. It's not the immigrants, it's not the Russians. It's the devil and his demons. That's who we're fighting a spiritual battle against. And if we don't understand that, see, we're casualties already. If you're sitting there right now going, you're smoking crack, JP. I don't know what you're talking about. You're a casualty. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. If you do not understand what the Bible says about spiritual warfare, you are deceived. 
And if you are deceived, you're a casualty. You can understand what the Bible actually says, but you're not appropriating the truth into your life and living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're a casualty. Because it's a real spiritual battle. And the only way we're going to live transformed lives in Christ is if we win the battle. And so God has given us a positive exhortation how to win the battle. Not be afraid of it, how to win it. So we need to understand we have an enemy. And the enemy has a strategy. Because Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's the Greek word methodios. We get the word methods. And it's in the plural. There are methods. There are schemes. There are strategies. There are approaches. And if you survey what the Bible teaches on this topic, they basically will fall down into three areas. Temptations, accusations, and deceptions. The schemes of the devil are to tempt us to sin, to accuse us about something that just fills us with guilt and shame, or to deceive us so that we believe lies. But they're his schemes. So Paul is warning us about the enemy and about his schemes so that we don't become victims of them. When, and I've shared this with you before, but when Taylor, Pastor Taylor, was, uh, was little, we lived in Santa Barbara, and I used to, on my day off, uh, I would take him and put him in a stroller, and we would go to the Santa Barbara Zoo. It takes about two hours to go through that little zoo. We'd start at one end, and we'd work our way around to the other end, and we'd always leave, and the last thing that we would see before we left was the lion in this little cage. And we would go up to the lion, and it didn't have bars. It was like a, a, a wire-meshed cage. And there's a male lion in there, and I'd take Taylor out of this uh, stroller, and I'd put him up on my shoulders, and we'd get as close as we could to the cage, you know, and then I'd try to get the lion's attention. Roar! And then Taylor, you know, he's a little boy, he'd go, Roar! I'd go, Roar! Roar! Now, sometimes the lion would roar back, and sometimes he would just ignore us, and sometimes he would actually come right up to the front of the cage in front of us. Never. In any of those experiences, was I ever afraid for myself or my son? Because we were outside the cage. Now, on the back of the cage, there's a, a wooden door that the people who run the zoo use to open it up and bring in food for the lion. Now, do you suppose I would ever, with my son, go to the back, open the door, take him out of the stroller, put him on my shoulders, walk into the cage, walk right up to the lion and go... That'd be stupid, because inside the cage, he could tear us apart. So listen, the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His strategy, whether it's temptation, accusation, or deception, is to get you into the cage, to get you into his cage, because if you are in his cage, he can waylay you. But in Christ, with the armor of God on, you're outside the cage. Outside the cage, you can't do jack. But you wouldn't know that unless you really read the Bible and knew what it had to say and internalized it into your heart and lived it out in faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. See? 
So Paul is giving us a warning here about our enemy. And here's a third observation. He tells us about the spiritual armor that we have to protect ourselves. All the resources that God has given us to protect ourselves against any temptation, any accusation, and any deception of the enemy. He says, therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming evils of arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. See, Paul, and many of us know this if we've studied this passage or heard sermons on this before, Paul is writing this letter in a group of letters that are known as the prison letters. Because at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is brought on trial. He makes his appeal to Caesar. He's actually taken to Rome, and he's under house arrest. And while he's in Rome under house arrest, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. the prison letters. Under house arrest, Paul was chained to a Roman guard, one of the Praetorian guards they were known as. They were like the uh, Delta Force, Green Beret, Navy SEALs of their day, the Praetorian guards. So there's the Apostle Paul under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. He's looking at the Roman soldier, all the armor that the Roman soldier has. The Holy Spirit is percolating something inside of him. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and he wants to write about all that we have in Christ to win the spiritual battle and he uses the armor of the Roman soldier as a metaphor to illustrate it. Now, I've preached on this passage. I've heard it preached on. I've read commentaries on this passage and a lot of time we get all caught up with the actual pieces of the Roman soldier's armor and that's only the illustration of what we have. You see, it's not about having a breastplate and having about a shield. It's about what we actually have in Christ. So what every believer has in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've crossed the line, given your life to Jesus, this is what you have available for you right now to be a winner in the spiritual battle. To be totally protected from any temptation, any accusation, any deception from Satan. Remember, it's not against flesh and blood. I mean, flesh and blood may be the delivery system In fact, more often than not, flesh and blood is the delivery system. It's angry, harsh words from a parent or a spouse or a boss. It's, it's, uh, it's the temptation to compromise or sin from some person or with some person. It's the internalized hurt from someone who lets you down. And that becomes bitterness. See, flesh and blood may be the delivery system, but they're not the enemy. The enemy is Satan and his demons. And the spiritual resources we have whenever temptation, accusation, or deception comes at us, no matter what the delivery system is, is every believer. We have truth. We have righteousness. We have the gospel of peace. We have faith and we have salvation. 
So every day, you're going to fight the spiritual battle. But every day, you know what you can put on and take up? Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Every word in this book is, is true. You, you got the truth. So no matter what the lies are that come at you, you're ugly, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you're fat, God could never use you, you're a loser. I mean, they come at us inside our heads. They're real words that actually come at us. But they're not true. This is the truth. We're children of God. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're forgiven for all of our sins. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We've been crucified with Christ. We can do all things through Christ who strengthen us. We are unconditionally, perfectly loved in Jesus Christ. We matter to God. We're servants of Jesus. See, that's the truth. And we have the truth. So we can, we can gird ourselves with the truth. And we got the breastplate of righteousness. Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and God stamped his righteousness on us. We are righteous in Jesus, not in ourselves, not based upon our performance record, based upon Jesus' performance record. And God gave it to us and, and counted it to be true for us. And, and put it into our account because we believed in Jesus. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. So we, we don't stand before God based on our performance. We stand before God based on Jesus' performance. We're completely righteous. And so when those accusations come at us that you, the Christian life works for other people, but it doesn't work for you, look at you. You're, look at you. Look what you just did. Look at that secret. You call yourself a Christian, you're holding on to that secret. Look at the way you just spoke to your wife. Yeah, you're a real godly man. Why don't you go to that beast feast and show up and tell them you're all godly? See, those are the lies and the accusations that are going to come at us. But we can say, that's a lie. I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. I'm forgiven in Jesus Christ. I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. See, we have the truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the gospel of peace. As, shodding our feet with the gospel of peace. I, have, I, I got peace with God. God isn't mad at me. He had not to give me a whack. He didn't waiting for me to screw up so he can kick me out. I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's the foundation. It's what we stand on. It's what our feet are shod with, the gospel of peace. We got truth, we got righteousness, we got peace. We have the shield of faith. So every time one of those fiery arrows come at us of temptation or accusation or deception, we can just pull up that shield of faith and neutralize them every time. I don't have to believe that lie. I don't have to listen to that accusation. I don't have to follow through on that temptation. Do you know that's true? That is really true. See, that's why it's living by faith. Not living by your feelings. If you live by your feelings, you would believe that lie. You would receive that accusation. You'd follow through on that temptation if you lived on your feelings. I mean, if I lived by my feelings, you'd be listening to this sermon as I'm sitting in death row right now. If I live by my feelings. So we live by faith. And we have faith. And we can be strong in faith. 
We can take up the shield of faith because it's ours. We just got to take it up. We have truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. The helmet of salvation. We're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. We belong to Jesus. Nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. John wrote in 1 John 5, and the witness is this, that God has, has given us eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has the life. Is Jesus in your life? Then you got eternal life. You're saved. You got salvation. See, this is what we have to protect us from the accusations, deceptions, and temptations. Our spiritual armor. One last, one last thing. Our spiritual weapons. Our spiritual weapons. Because you don't fight a battle just to defend yourself against the enemy. You fight a battle to defeat the enemy. And God doesn't want us just being on a defensive posture, you know, like, like uh, some boxer who's up, backed up against the wall and is kind of just taking punches but not getting really hit in a way that hurts. That's not the way to live the Christian life. No, we're to knock the devil out. We're to win the spiritual battle. And so Paul tells us in this passage the weapons we have to win. Now, again, reduce it down to the level in which you all live. To win so that rather than being in a marriage filled with bitterness, you're in a marriage filled with forgiveness and grace. Rather than being a victim to the temptation of pornography, you can resist and have the pure conscience that you're walking with the Lord. Rather than, than someone just living with a defeatist, affiliated, mediocre life, you actually realize God's called you for a purpose and you have spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ and you have the light of Jesus to actually tell other people about the gospel. Rather than being a person that is uh, kind of just impulse driven, you're driven by direction and purpose and conviction and principles, see? Reduce it down to the level in which you're living. These are the weapons to win the spiritual battle. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given to me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. God has given us spiritual weapons, every believer, every believer, spiritual weapons to win the battle they're in. So in your sphere where temptation, accusation, and deception is coming at you, this is what God has given you to actually take the battle to the enemy and defeat the enemy and take ground for Jesus. First of all, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You got the word of God. Yeah, so what am I doing? I'm supposed to pick up a big Bible and whack, 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 whack. No, he says you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and he uses the Greek term rhema. Rhema is a personal spoken word. There's another Greek term, logos, which is the larger principle of the word. So it, it, to make that illustration maybe practical, this would be the logos, And Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. That's the rhema. Because when I'm flipping through the internet 
and some advertising picture of a hot babe comes up and I could click on it, this doesn't do me any good, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ make no provision for the flesh. That, 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 that helps me. See, that gives me victory. See, the rhema is the individual spoken word of God. That's what Jesus used in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. You know the story of the temptations. When he's out in the desert, the devil comes and fires all these temptations at him. And each time Jesus said, it's written, it's written, it's written. And what he quotes is specific to the temptation. Turn these stones to bread because I know you're hungry. And Jesus said, now the scripture says man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, that's the rhema. Jesus could have said, hey, Isaiah 321, it says, finger rings and nose rings. That actually is. You can look it up. Scripture. It's a little little known scripture. Isaiah 321, finger rings and nose rings. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't do you any good, finger rings and nose rings. No, when you have the word, the specific word for the specific temptation, for the specific accusation, for the specific deception, that's when it does you pretty, that, that's when it helps you. That, that's when you can actually win the battle. So when your spouse says something that's so deep and hurtful that only a spouse can say, unfortunately, that really gets you where you really are vulnerable, You can say, you know, Colossians 3 says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And Hebrews, Hebrews 11 says, see to it that no root of bitterness spring up within you by which many are defiled. And Ephesians 4 says, be tender-hearted, compassionate, kind. Put aside anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Lord, I'm claiming your rhema, and I'm forgiving my husband. I'm forgiving my wife, and I'm going to move out in compassion. And you know what it also says, by the way, First Peter chapter 3, do not return an insult with an insult, but give a blessing instead. And so even though they said something hurtful to me, I'm going to say something kind and blessing to them. And now you're winning a battle. Now you're taking it to the enemy. Now what could have driven you into the pit actually becomes a, an opportunity of transparent communication and deeper intimacy, and you go to a whole new level in your marriage. You see, what, what the devil tried to take away, God gave you to have victory. See, that's where this gets real practical. That's where this gets, don't, don't think about, you know, exorcist and head spinning and vomit projectiling. Think about the real world where we really fight the battle. That's where we have the armor, and that's where we have the weapons, the Word of God, which, which is the, the sword of the Spirit. So to quote, you know, one of my great theological mentors, Russell Crowe, in the movie Gladiator, in the beginning of the movie where he's driven out and he's about to be executed, and he's on his hands and knees, and the, the, the soldier who's going to chop his head off can't get the sword out of its scabbard, and Russell Crowe jumps up, knocks him over, takes the sword, and before he kills him with it, he looks at him and says, it's the frost. It makes the blade stick. Whack! 
See, Russell Crowe knew all about the sword, even that sometimes the frost makes the blade stick. But more than just knowing about it, he could actually use it. We had a lot of people in the church who know about the Bible, but they're not using it, and they're losing the spiritual battle. Use it. Use it. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. And then he says, pray. Pray. Pray at all times. Pray with all kinds of prayers. Pray for all people. So, I mean, in one little verse, verse 18, he gets the point across. It's prayer that attacks the enemy. Are you praying for your spouse? Are you and your spouse praying together? Are you praying for your kids? Are you, are you praying for this church? Are you praying for me? Are you, are you praying for our missionaries? Are you praying for what God's doing in our country? Are you praying for your day? Before you even step into your day, have you prayed about all the things that you're gonna face that day? You see, we can all grow more in prayer. We can all pray more. We can all pray about more things. And the more we pray, and the more we pray for one another, the more we experience victory in the Christian life. It's, it's a weapon. Prayer is like a, a, a laser-guided smart bomb. It, it used to be, you know, in World War II, when the bombers dropped the bombs, they just kind of could sight them and hope that they landed close to their target. Now, they have laser-guided smart bombs where they can actually pinpoint the bomb to land exactly where they want it to land on the target. And that's why prayer is. We can pray, and, and the more we grow in prayer, and the more we enter into the, the, the guiding of the Spirit in prayer, our prayers are like laser-guided smart bombs right at the enemy's fortresses, and we're busting them apart so that lives are changed, and people are healed, and lost people are saved, and the church grows, and we walk into the light and victory of Christ. Prayer! So we got the word of God, we got prayer. And then he says, and pray for me that I may speak the gospel, declare the gospel, share the gospel fearlessly. It's, it's in sharing the gospel of Jesus that lost people are saved and that heaven and hell are changed. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. See, Gates, gates are, are for guarding something. And in that statement, Jesus says, says, there's gates of hell. So here's hell over here and all those people trapped in it and there's these gates guarding it. But Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. In other words, the church is invading hell and rescuing people. That's why the Bible says that people come out of darkness into the light when they believe in Jesus Christ. There are people, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, the guy at Starbucks, the trainer at the gym, the parents that you talk to on the soccer field. They need to be rescued. And we get to rescue them. That's when the enemy is totally defeated. Because let me just tell you this. Satan doesn't want you to grow as a Christ follower, but you know what he definitely does not want? Lost people to get saved. See, he, yeah, he'll throw stuff at us to kind of inhibit us and neutralize us spiritually, 
But what he really is trying to stop is people coming to salvation. And that's when we take it to the enemy. So when we have the word of God and we have prayer, and then we, in the power of the spirit, share the gospel of Jesus, that's when we're winning the battle. That's when we're taking territory for God. That's when we're setting prisoners free. And every one of us gets to do that. Now, we may do it our own unique way. You know, Pastor Kenny and, and, and myself and, and Jason, we may go down to Haiti and just boldly preach the gospel and see people saved. But you might just have a cup of coffee with a next-door neighbor and say, hey, you know, my pastor is speaking on this topic at church on, on Easter. I think you'd love it. Would you, would you come to church with me? That, seriously. It's... It, you don't have to be Billy Graham. Just be yourself and let Jesus shine through you. Build a friendship, pray for people, and invite them to church. And you will be amazed at the opportunities you'll have afterwards to have a great gospel conversation. One that you thought you weren't even prepared to have, but they're asking you now. You're not trying to force it because you've just been a good neighbor, a good friend, invited someone to church. They had a great experience. Some of their spiritual questions were kind of surfaced, and they're asking you, tell me about this. You see, that's when we're taking the fight to the enemy because our weapons are the word of God, prayer, and the gospel. You know, my daughter, she's home uh, at spring break right now. She's finishing up this year. She graduates in, in May from the University of Alabama. When she went off to college, she uh, lived in a dorm, and her roommate was uh, a gal that pledged the same sorority that, that she did. And, and, and she was a good roommate. They, they weren't best friends, but they, they really got along. And, and they, they had a good friendship. So then the next year, they both moved into the sorority house. And as it happens, they kind of drifted a little bit. And my daughter developed another group of friends. And then this gal developed another group of friends during their sophomore year. During her junior year, they kind of reconnected a little bit. And my daughter invited her to the church that she was attending. Attends a great church there in, in, in Alabama. And the gal accepted the invitation, went to church with her. She liked what she heard and what she experienced, and she said, can I go back again? My daughter said, sure. She liked what she experienced and what she heard. She goes, can I go back again? She said, sure. She went back again. And in one of the services, the pastor of the church gave an invitation to receive Christ, and my daughter's friend gave her life to Christ. And then she was baptized and then they became really close friends her junior year, and, and she graduated early, and now they're, they continue to grow, and she's walking and following the Lord. My, my daughter wasn't a great evangelist. She just built a friendship and invited her friend to church. And now this, this gal is going to spend the rest of her life in heaven. You see, we can build friendships, and we can invite people to church. That's when we're really taking the battle to the enemy. Because, see, we're in a fight. And there is an enemy. And we have, we have armor to protect ourselves. And we have weapons to win the battle. God wants to charge us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To put on the full armor of God 
and to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for every person here, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, they know they're in a fight. They know there's a battle. Give them eyes to see that it's not against flesh and blood. It's against a real spiritual enemy. I pray that every one of us would put on your armor, the full armor of God, and we take up your weapons so that it'd be a good fight and, and we'd win. Help us, help us experience Christ's victory. Jesus, give people victory in their marriage. Give people victory in their thought life. Give people victory in their relationships. Give people victory in their, their service for you. Give people victory in wanting to shine Christ's light and being a witness. Give people victory in, in walking the path of your commandments. God, we want to experience the victory of Jesus in our lives. Jesus, live in us, live through us. May, may your will be done and may your kingdom come. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.